Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Please take your seats quickly, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you. Hello, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to The Passing Shot with Joel and Kim, the tennis podcast by fans. On today's episode, backed by our crowdfunders, Beth Walensky and Eric Pinnett. Andre Rublev rules in Rotterdam. Petra Kvitova captures her second Doha crown. And Brit's Marcus Willis announces his retirement at the age of 30. Kim, another busy week of tennis on the ATP and WTA tours stretching across all parts of the globe. I've got to say, I'm loving this onslaught, this feast of tennis we're having at the moment post-Australian Open. I feel like we've just got kind of tennis left, right and centre at the moment. I know, Joe, and we haven't even had the return of Roger Federer yet. That is <laughs> that is to come this week, which is very exciting. So tennis is um, on the go as usual. So much to talk about. I feel like I'm a bit of a broken record saying that as there's always so much to talk about but let's begin in Rotterdam shall we Joel where we saw Andre Rublev winning yet another ATP 500 title Kim I genuinely I think this is a broken record as well Andre Rublev wins an ATP 500 tournament I mean shock horror I mean he's now on a 20 match win streak at this level uh, third only to Roger Federer and Andy Murray since 2009 he really is at home at, at this well at this level I don't know there's just something about it that um you know really kind of clicks for him and you know this is just a I guess in the context of his season this is just a continuation of the great form that he you know showed at the ATP Cup where he won all of his you know singles matches his run to the quarterfinals at the Australian Open and he's just carrying this through um to you know to Rotterdam and you know it's been really impressive because you know there have been other players like Daniel Medvedev for example who had kind of coming in with similar form, uh, you know, in the ATP Cup and uh, the Australian Open who haven't done as well. So for him to kind of show that consistency and carry it on through and, and win the tournament was uh, was really impressive from him. Yeah, his consistency is is very, very key at the moment. And, you know, also in terms of Grand Slams, he's reached the quarterfinals in the last three slams. So he's really, um, you know, not just peaking at this level, he is also providing us with that, you know, excellent form at the slams as well. Um I mean, he came through against Marton Fukcevic in the final in straight set, 7-6-6-4. So perhaps a finalist we weren't necessarily expecting. You know, he was a qualifier, but I think we all know what Fukcevic can do, you know, on his day. He's had really big wins at slams before. So certainly, you know, no one to dismiss easily. Uh, but, you know, Rublev had really good wins over Sitsipas, um, you know, Jeremy Shardy, Andy Murray. You know, he beat Andy um, in the second round, which, you know, much to the dismay of, of British British fans but yeah Rublev just kind of carrying on where he left off at this level really and I think what for me is most impressive is that from finals he is seven from seven like he's never lost a final he is in the complete opposite of Felix Auger-Aliassime I think I they need to team up and Felix needs to get into Andre Rublev's psyche yep. and think what is it that I need to do can you can you teach me 
Oje Aliasim needs to give Rublev a call and just be like, why are you so good at finals? Because yeah, they're in, they're at complete opposite ends of the spectrum. And it is really impressive that when it seems that when Rublev does get to a final, he doesn't run out of steam. He just treats it like any other match and is able to, you know, he's got the, he's got the champion's mentality. And that I think is going to bode really well, you know, for his, you know, for his career. And he's not, um, you know, it doesn't feel like he kind of falls short at the, the you know, at the last hurdle. And uh, I think the only kind of I think the only sort of challenge I think for him at the moment is that, you know, as you said, we've seen that consistency that he's bedded in at Grand Sam's, as you said, three quarterfinal appearances now in a row. We've seen the, that consistency at a 500 level. The only time I think we, we haven't seen that consistency from Rublev is uh, strangely, I think, in that in the in the middle bit in the, uh, you know, the Masters 1000s. I think, you know, I was looking at his, um, you know, form um, at masters events in his career i think he's only reached quarterfinals on one occasion um in in cincinnati in 2019 really i think really quite surprising so i think you know of course i feel like it's going to be a matter of time but um you know he'll want to you know be able to kind of transfer that form into masters events and with miami coming up i mean there's going to really be no better time like the present yeah exactly we've got a whole host of them on the horizon with Miami and then all the clay court ones you know assuming mm. they they all go ahead so we'll be looking to see I'm I'm sure he will be making quarters semis if not going further I'm, I'm sure at, at those events unless you know something untoward happens but yeah really decent showing from Andre Rublev I mean just a note about a Daniel Medvedev, you know, top seed, obviously coming in off an Australian Open final appearance. He lost to Lajovic in straight sets in the first round, obliterated his racket. Uh, not great, but from the 15th of March, he is due to become world number two, um, which is quite significant because it's the first time since 2005 that someone other than the big four is mm. going to be in the the top two in the ranking so he is doing what no other man has done for a very very long time um and that's regardless of what happens in in marseille next week yeah really really impressive i mean one of the i guess one of the longest standing you know records we we have at the moment i mean 2005 i think it was leighton hewitt the you know the last player in that spot and you know just i think in the context of the big three i think this is interesting in the sense that if you know once we see i think the you know the new younger generations start to uh, you know, impinge on territory of the big three. I think it is going to start with kind of the rankings. First of all, you know, we see, you know, the big players like Federer, um, Djokovic, Nadal, you know, choose their tournaments, uh, you know, carefully and wisely. They don't play as many tournaments. And therefore, I think naturally we're going to see, you know, the, you know, the up and coming generation, um, you know, impinge on that sort of territory like this. First of all, in terms of rankings, I still think there's a there's obviously still a bit of a way to go. I think in terms of grand slams and and titles, but I think this is just showing that 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 transition is coming and it's going to start. I think first with the the ATP rankings. Yeah, and I I imagine the Dominic team, you know, might very well. Um, obviously become number two at some point as well. Mm. Uh, they'll probably be having a, a tussle, but I know Novak is incredibly far ahead. And I mean, as a Rafa fan, obviously he's taken that position away, but I, I feel like, you know, if you're in the top four, that that's fine. You, you're pretty much on a par. It only comes to slams, I suppose, when you don't end up avoiding Novak Djokovic until the final, you know, <laughs> you could end up being in the semifinals with him, but that's kind of the only real difference. So I'm, I'm sure Rafa won't be too... Um, you know, broken hearted about it. But um I mean honestly, he could be any seed. He could be he could be unseeded in, in any clay court tournament. Do you feel like he would still be the 
he would still be the favorite he doesn't always need a, a favorable draw but yeah it's it's um you know it's that sort of classic sort of he's only interested in titles now and, and grand slams and, and rankings are probably very secondary to him on that front Absolutely. And uh, I mean, let's just have a, a quick nod back to Rotterdam because obviously we saw Andy Murray against Rublev. Uh, Matt Murray did come through Robin Harzer in the first round. He came through in three sets. So that was really pleasing to see that, you know, he got that win because I remember saying last week that that was probably the best draw Andy could have hoped for. And so, if he, you know, if he wasn't able to come through that, you sort of would, would have thought, oh, like, what is the point? I mean, that sounds very negative, but it's going to be such a tough way back, you know, if Andy is coming up against like the Rublevs of the world in, you know, the second round, like how is he going to get an opportunity? I mean, I, I know it will come with time, but it's just, it is, it does show how hard it is going to be for him. It is really, really hard. It was really, really pleasing to see that performance against Hassa. I think Hassa played really well, particularly in that first set. I think he was a break up actually in that third set, but Murray was able to kind of claw it back and, uh, you know, Hassa just kind of ran out of answers in the end. But, um, yeah, it was also, I think, equally focusing on that Murray-Rublev match. I mean, I guess kind of Rublev won 7-5-6-2, but really that first set was, it could have really gone either way. And it was really, I think, impressive, uh, you know, level and intensity from Murray, particularly in that first set. I know you sort of fell away. And I think we've kind of seen that a couple of times now, you know, on, on this comeback. But, um, you know, I don't think he, you know, in his, his post-match kind of press conference, I don't think he was particularly kind of deterred by that. I think he was pretty happy with his performance. It was kind of fascinating to hear him talk about this, this fact that, you know, there are people out there who are looking at the fact that he's getting these wild cards and, you know, thinking, Oh, why doesn't, you know, why doesn't he just retire? He's taking these wild cards away from players who, you know, need it more. You know, this sort of, you know, we've seen this sort of, I think, um, you know, topic and subject come up before, but now it's coming into kind of the Andy Murray world. And, and, you know, in his point of view, he's just, you know, basically saying, I just want to play on. I think it's great that, you know, I'm playing all these players with a, you know, with one, with, a, you know, with one hip. It's just like, you know, um, sorry, one hip with an, you know, with an injured, <laughs> with a metal hip is what I was meant to see saying him. But um, yeah, he's he's obviously I think aware that there's this sort of negativity around this his comeback, and you know, particularly I think unseeded getting these wild cards. But he's got to start somewhere, and and you do hope that you know, as a Murray fan, you do hope he can get a bit kinder draws because I mean he had. He's got Rub- he had Rublev this week. Rublev went on to win. Grasimov got to the semi-finals last week. He's coming up against inform players very early on in the tournaments he's playing in, and it is making it very, very difficult. With his one original hip, yeah. No, <laughs> I, I know, but uh, I mean, we'll just have to see how the draws. You know, hopefully we'll have draw gods being kind to him going forwards. But um, just before we move on to uh, you know the rest of of this week's events, it was also nice to see Kane Ishikori. Uh, back getting some wins under his belt as well uh, getting to the quarterfinals so um, always nice to see him back and doing a bit better because obviously he's been struggling for quite a while um, with injury and such like but I mean let's go on to I guess the, the big event in the uh, the women's side of things the WTA 500 out in Qatar in Doha uh, where we had Petra Kvitova winning very very comfortably in the final against Garbina Muguruza this really surprised me this scoreline actually because I thought Muguruza was going to win. I mean, I just thought Muguruza, she seems to be really on it. Um, I had her down to win. 
and the manner of the victory by Kvitova, yeah, def- definitely surprised me. Um, I know that they had met uh, three years ago in the in the very same final, and that had been you know three setter Kvitova winning uh, that one as well. But um, yeah, she's got quite a good head to head against Garbina, so five one up, I think she is. Yeah, there's something about that matchup that is really uh, good for for Kvitova because yeah, she, I think she's won the last five in a row, and it was a really impressive week from Kvitova. She just played fantastic and you know at times unstoppable tennis and it was just very very impressive and in that final against Muguruza one of the you know one of the form players really this season to beat her two and one I think Muguruza wasn't firing and part of that was I think Kvitova was playing so well you know the unforced error count was I think was quite high for, for Muguruza but yeah, the level Kvitova was playing at was fantastic. I think it's, yeah, as a fan, I, I kind of watching her, it's, you know, it's fantastic to see her kind of winning these, you know, winning these events and, and taking, you know, taking out these competitions in a really kind of ruthless way. I just wish that she, you know, we've always kind of, I think, spoken about, you know, can she do this at a Grand Slam? And, you know, we see this form and we're just like, where was this at the Australian Open? Or, you know, where was this, you know, in, in, in the, you know, in all of the, the Grand Slams that she's been playing recently? Um, and that's like the one question I have is whether she could kind of transfer this, you know, back into the, you know, the Slam arena. Cause I don't really feel like we talk about, talk about her as a genuine, genuine, genuine Slam contender at the moment, despite being a, you know, a, a former Slam champion. Yeah, two-time Wimbledon champion, got to the AO final last year. So absolutely. But yeah, I know exactly what you mean. It's She sort of doesn't enter the conversation these days because we know that she can on her day put it together, but she just seems to come unstuck of late at, at the slams. But yeah, I mean, this was her 28th career title, her second title in Doha. She seems to really like it there. Um, had a great week. Uh, obviously... Azarenka was doing really, really well as well. I, I was very excited about Azarenka against Muguruza, but um, Azarenka pulled out with a back injury, which she had sustained against Svitolina in the quarterfinal. So she she was in some really good form, um, winning comfortably up, up to that point, and obviously still managing to get through against Svitolina. Um, and obviously Jessica Pagula as well, continuing her really good run of form from the Australian Open, reaching the semifinals as well. I mean, she she was a qualifier, but... I was actually shocked to hear that she had to qualify because in my mind, you know, I I consider her above qualification with, with her recent results. Yeah, I thought that was quite surprising, Jessica Begula having to, to qualify for a WTA 500, given her you know, recent performances, particularly, you know, at the Australian Open, getting to the quarterfinals. I, you know, I thought that was a bit funny. Um, I, you know, I think, you know, that's a that's probably a result of the kind of the ranking situation at the moment, um, which we're going to get onto. But just going back, Kim, to that match between Svitolina and Azarenka, I watched some of the highlights of this. This was a bizarre, bizarre match because Azarenka, I think, injured herself in the warm up, decided to play on. It was quite clear that she wasn't a hundred percent, you know, in in kind of in the match in in the rallies and she came through 6264 and i i genuinely i just think svitolina just did not know she did not know what to do with an injured opponent on the other side of the net because she literally just played i think that you know the svitolina way and she was just kind of hitting it back into you know the the azarenka strike zone and as a result of that azarenka was just able to you know, just go for it. And, you know, it, it really worked for her. She was able to shorten the points and, and win the match relatively easily. And it's just a bit of a funny one because I think with Svitolina, she should be looking at that. She, you know, she's got the experience. She should be kind of looking at that match, looking at an injured opponent and being like, I'm going to need to move this opponent 
all around the court. I'm not going to be able to just hit it into her strike zone. And I was surprised that she wasn't able to kind of adapt her, her strategy. Yeah, we, we know that it can be quite tricky playing against an injured opponent. I mean, just ask Novak Djokovic as a, mm. uh, a opposition at the, at, at the AO and how that must have affected them. But yeah, it was, it was a shame though, I guess, for her because obviously then Azarenka withdrew. So, you know, it would have been a real opening for Svitolina. But, you know, it's such is life. I mean, the other result, Joel, that really caught my eye was Jen Brady losing very easily to Annette Contevate in the first round. And I don't know if this is like, a big kind of curse of the AO finalists, you know, their, their next match back on court. They both lose in straight sets. But I, I mean, I hope this was just, you know, a one-off, a blip. But I hope that like her confidence hasn't been knocked from kind of getting almost obliterated by Osaka in that final. But we'll have to see how she bounces back. I'm sure it's just a temporary um, temporary thing. And obviously, Contivate is a extremely uh, competent opponent uh, on her day as well. But yeah, another win in the bag for Petra Kvitova. Uh, she'll be hoping to do the Doha-Dubai double, uh, which only a few players, I think, have done um, as we well go into Dubai, which is obviously already underway. Yeah, it does, isn't it? We've got the Sunshine double. Can we have like the Middle East, the Middle East double or the... The Doha-Dubai double. No, that's Lots a bit rubbish, of... isn't it? <laughs> well, it's alliterative, I suppose. I don't know. <laughs> um, but we also had the WTA 250 event out in Lyon in France. Uh, so this one, well, we had an all-qualifier final between Clara Towson and Victoria Golubic. And Clara Towson, who is a very young Danish player, she was a, uh, this was only, I think, her third main draw appearance. So, you know, she's she's really just breaking on to the main tour after, um, you know, her junior career, which, you know, she was world number one in, in the juniors. So, um, yeah, she, she stormed her way to victory. Uh, hadn't lost a set all week um, in, in all her, her seven matches, including her qualifying rounds. And, yeah, came through in the final 6-4, 6-1 over Victoria Golubic of Switzerland. Yeah, it was really, really, really impressive uh, from the young Dane. A lot of, you know, talk about, you know, I think we've spoken about her before because she had that standout victory, I think, against Jen Brady uh, last year in the French Open in round one that sort of put her on the map because, you know, she has been a very good uh, player at the junior level. And I was, you know, we were all kind of interested to see how that transition would go into the, you know, into the senior level. But yeah, she has been really, really impressive in Lyon this week. A lot of, I think a lot of people kind of talk about her, you know, in relation to obviously Caroline Wozniacki, but, you know, you just, you just got to look at a game on court. It's completely different to Caroline Wozniacki's style of play. It's a lot more aggressive and I think she likes to come to the net and kill the points off. And, um, yeah, it was really, really impressive stuff from her. And I think, you know, when she has had the opportunity to, go on to the kind of the the WTA tour in the in the main draw she's really making the making the most of those opportunities and I think you know I was kind of reading about a lot of stuff around her you know comparisons between her and Coco Goff and and this sort of feeling that Coco Goff gets all these wild cards and gets these opportunities handed to her whereas you know Clara Torson has really had to kind of fight for these moments you know coming through qualifying uh, but she's really making the most of it when she when she does get to the main draws. No definitely and I, I feel like she's more comparable to I guess Iga Shriontek as well just I don't know winning mm. a title without dropping a set I think they are <laughs> they are the same the same age I think aren't they um, 
they're both 19 so actually yeah I, I feel like she'll be looking to looking at Shriontek to uh as, as inspiration I suppose um but she'll make her top 100 debut uh from tomorrow which is fantastic and definitely one to look out for you know for the rest of the season to see if she can build on her you know amazing week and 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 do this again or get get to more finals and and perhaps make inroads at a higher level of tournament as well because obviously this is a 250 so she'll be looking to to play more of the higher events as well and see how she gets on with those I think the thing is with her, you know, again, looking at her kind of ranking, she's in that really unfortunate, I think, sort of um, zone between, you know, I think she was going into this at around 130. And, you know, it's because of the rankings and the way it's set up at the moment, it's at that ranking, it's hard for her to get into these main draws. But then at the same time, in the, you know, the, the tournaments below that, she's not really doing a lot with them. And I think it really doesn't help with players like Torsten, who, have clear potential and are clearly, you know, on a path up the rankings and they're almost kind of being kept in in check at the moment, I feel. But um, I'm hoping that, yeah, she can kind of can continue that rise up the rankings because I think she was going into, I think last season, you know, her, her ambition was really to kind of crack the top 150. She did that. And, you know, it's it's it will be fascinating to see what she can do um, in terms of the rankings this season, despite all of the, you know, all of the kind of restrictions they, you know, she might feel that are on her at the moment. Definitely, and and Joel, what did you make of the uh, the court at Leon, the the bright <laughs> pink? Were, were you a fan? So it was quite. Yeah. We put that on our Twitter. It was quite a an eye opener to to tune in and see it. <laughs> I think it was very divisive between in the the passing shot community. I think there were some people who loved it, some people who hated it. I liked it. I think it was quite bright. It looked good on TV. Um, it was very different. I think. I think it was almost completely opposite to the Rotterdam setup, which was all very dark and. Um, I feel like it was a bit more like, atmospheric and was really, you really felt like it was kind of focused on the, like on the court and they were kind of making sure like the, you know, the, um, the empty seats were like invisible and then with the player boxes at the end, it almost felt like a theatre set up. But uh, yeah, I thought this was bright. I like, I quite liked it. I thought it was, I don't think we've really seen that combination before. So yeah, I, I, I was a fan of it. What, what, what about you? Yeah, I, I, I love a, a bright pink, a cerise pink. I'm, I'm, I'm there for that. It was great. And I mean, if, if you had have been there in person, it certainly would have stopped you like nodding off in the middle of the match. Cause, <laughs> you know, it was just like this garish color in front of you. But, um, yeah, I was quite a big fan. But, um, yeah, we also, Joel, had uh, the Argentina Open in Buenos Aires, uh, part of the, classic golden swing tournaments <laughs> out, out on the clay in South America. And um, bizarrely and amusingly, uh, the other Serendolo got to the final. So this is Francisco Serendolo, brother of Juan Manuel Serendolo, who won his, uh, who won the tournament in Cordoba last week um, as a, you know, qualifier or no, he was a wildcard um sort of out of nowhere and his brother Francisco <laughs> got all the way to the final in Buenos Aires and we were really hoping um that he would go all the way and they would become the first brothers to win back-to-back titles uh, in the open era on on the tour but it was not to be because pesky Diego Schwartzman <laughs> nipped, nipped that in the bud by thrashing him today <laughs> yeah 
I think I think Serendola was going into uh, that final. I think he had a bit of cramp in the third set in his uh, semi-final against Ramos Vinolas. So I don't think it was. I don't think he was going into that at a hundred percent. But yeah, I mean Diego Schwartzman, um, he really kind of routed the the competition. Really didn't drop a set. Um, a lot better than than last week, where you know he was he was upset. I think he was the I think he was the top seed last week in, in Cordoba. But um, yeah, he'll be really happy with his performance. But I think the real the really the talk of the town here is the Serendolo brothers because I feel like they've taken the golden swing uh, uh, in in full flow really because it has been a really fascinating and incredible story. I think that the last two weeks for them. I mean, a pair of brothers who you know most people would not have known of coming from relative ex- obscurity to you know one of them winning quarterback open quarterback open then the one, other one following up to get to the final really really impressive and uh, yeah i mean who knows where they go from here i felt like i was a bit harsh on on juan manuel last week i was, I was sort of saying his serve wasn't good enough but but obviously <laughs> it is kim because you know he he won he won he won last week so you know, I, I would only say that Ramos Fernandez is probably the only player who's not happy for them because he, I think, got beat. He's been beaten by both of them over the last two weeks. Yeah, it was just so bizarre, like having them both rock up on the tour. And, you know, I'd never heard of them before. And I think Francisco um, had actually had quite a decent record on, on the Challenger circuit before, unlike Juan Manuel. So perhaps, um, I mean, it'll be interesting to see which of them all kind of r- r- go you know, rise higher in the rankings mm, yeah. or do the best. Uh, but I suppose it really helps having each other to travel around with on the tour and spur each other on. I'm sure Francisco was uh, inspired by his brother's antics in Cordoba. So, yeah, really nice story to come out the Golden Swing. Uh, nice for Schwartzman as well to get, you know, a title, you know, he should be winning that sort of title. So yeah. he's justified um, that expectation. Also had a bit of classic Benoit pair um, antics out in uh, Buenos Aires in, in the week. He um, got a warning for spitting on the court, as you do, because he was um, protesting about a uh, a mark on the clay, which obviously they, they didn't have Hawkeye. They don't, you know, it's, it's back to the old fashioned umpire's call uh pair disagreed spat on the mark was given a warning and then was docked a point a couple of games later for spitting yet again as per his twitter post later on he quite frankly didn't give two hoots because he was uh, put up a post showing how much he'd earned in his whole career and how much the fine is like completely meaningless in the grand scheme of things which yeah a bit of a bad attitude from ben Pair there but uh i mean what do we expect <laughs> The double faults he served in the the final game of of that match against it was actually against Francesco Serendolo. Oh, yeah, they were they were terrible. Like, they were really bad, and I just feel I just feel a bit embarrassed for him. Uh, I know we know he's got these sort of antics. I think he's just I think he's just frustrated in his you know his game. You know he's probably in his game at the moment because um, yeah he's, he's just it's just not clicking for him, and he's gone to you know South America hopefully to you know do well in these competitions. You know as a as the second seed, but he's he's coming on early on, and yeah, he's just just kind of taking it out really, you know, in a way that it's just not acceptable. Particularly, I think now, you know, spitting it's just not acceptable. I mean, it was never acceptable, but it's absolutely 
even more not acceptable now i think you know post coronavirus in this in this sort of world so um yeah i hope he i hope uh, yeah i don't know if the atp can do anything more if they can you know or if it's just through the the tournament and in terms of that fine but um yeah it was not uh it was not a good look for him no i mean if i was the umpire i think i would have you know um forfeited him a, a whole point or a game from from the mm. first time he spat on it to be quite honest because that is absolutely disgusting but um on that note we'll take a quick <laughs> break <laughs> let's, let's talk about spitting the better uh jo- do join us in the second half we'll be looking at uh, a whole host of things marcus willis retiring the update on the atp rankings all the draws from next week including dubai and also roger federer's return in doha so don't go anywhere This is The Passing Shot. You're joined by Joel and Kim. And now we're going to move on to our little game section, Joel. I think you've got Mysterious Player up your yep, sleeve I for do, me. I do, I do have a Mysterious Player for you. So, uh, listeners, again, feel free to play along. Uh, Kim, I've got a set of clues for you. Are you ready? I am indeed. Let's go. <laughs> okay, so first clue. I was born on the 1st of August, 1986. Hmm. That's the same year as Rafa. Um, okay, so they <laughs> <laughs> they are 34 at the moment. Okay, next. I have a current win-loss record of 416 wins to 336 losses with three career titles. Hmm. So they've been around a while, played quite a good few number of matches. Three titles, so probably a bit of a journeyman or woman. Um, wow, okay. Um, hmm. Any oh, I, guesses? Like I, should, I should make an early guess, shouldn't I? <laughs> now, do you normally pick a woman for me? I can't, hmm. I can't think of any ladies. Um, Svetlana, no, it's not Svetlana because that's she's won more than three titles. Richard Gasquet incorrect it's not richard gaskin okay um okay next clue yeah my career high singles ranking to date is number 13 achieved on the 20th of march 2017 Hmm. which incidentally is my is my birth date the 20th of march but um yeah okay so they've reached number 13 uh in singles which is their career high ranking on that date in 2017. So who peaked about four years ago? Ah, uh, um, I can't think of anyone. <laughs> My mind's gone completely <laughs> blank. Oh, um, oh, next, next, next. Yep. <laughs> I reached the semi-finals in singles at Wimbledon in 2016, where I lost to Serena Williams. It's a woman. It was the quickest Wimbledon semi-final in the history of the championships. Oh, blimey. Who was that? 2016. Now, isn't that the year Kerber won Wimbledon? Gosh, he would have been in the semi-final. Oh, I think I know who it is because they've retired recently, haven't they? Yulia Gerge has got to a semi-final at Wimbledon. Oh. But I, don't, I don't know if she was the quickest defeated semi-finalist. So you're saying, are you saying Yulia Gerges? Yeah. Incorrect. It's not Yulia Gerges. Next clue? Yes, please. 
I have won three Grand Slam doubles titles and one mixed doubles Grand Slam title. Could it be Lucy Safarova, actually? She did get to a semi at Wimbledon, but I think she lost to... Wasn't that when Kvitova won? Are you saying Safarova? Yeah. Incorrect. It's not Safarova. Oh, Svetlana Peronkova. Incorrect. It's not Peronkova. <laughs> she did get to a semi, though, but it was years before that, I think, wasn't it? Oh, next clue. Next clue will be here all night. <laughs> I became women's doubles world number one for the first time on the 11th of June 2018. Women's doubles number one. So we've had people like Strichkova, Mladenovic, Garcia. None of them have got to a Wimbledon. Well, Strichkova has got to a Wimbledon semi, but more recently... Um, oh my lord! Uh, it's not um, Zheng Ji or someone like that, is it? Or um... <laughs> incorrect? No. <laughs> no. <laughs> oh no! Is this? Should I be getting this? Is this really? Listeners, are you just? As, are you despairing <laughs> with me? I can't think. Next clue. I won gold at the Olympics in Rio, 2016. What Monica Puig? No. Do you mean in the doubles? Incorrect. I've got two more clues for you. <laughs> if you don't get this after the the final clue, you should be able to get it 100%. Was I am going to hurry you along because otherwise we okay, will be Okay, sorry. Here yeah, next clue, next clue. I am coached by Dmitry Tursunov. What, Sabalenka? No, that's not Sabalenka. Oh, is he not with Sabalenka anymore? Um, it's not Sabalenka. Although Sabalenka would be a good shout, actually. But it's not Sabalenka. But she's not got to a Wimbledon semi-final. I have no idea. <laughs> I have no idea. <laughs> okay, final clue. Final clue. <laughs> I have just returned to the tour after taking maternity leave, partnering with Laura Siegmund in the doubles in Qatar. Sorry, did Elena Vashnina get to a Wimbledon singles semi-final? Yes, she did. Oh, I oh. I didn't realise that. I would have said her otherwise. She lost oh, six wow. two. I, she lost six two six love to Serena Williams uh, <gasps> in the twenty sixteen Wimbledon semi final. Oh dear. Okay. Oh wow. I didn't realise that. Well done. Like, okay, that was a good one. That really got me. I. It took forty eight minutes. That's how quick that semi final was. So. I thought you meant it took me forty eight minutes to get her. <laughs> well, actually, it also. I think it also took it took that long as Probably well. Probably felt so. like it for listeners. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, that was that was a good one. Um, that's probably my worst one so far. So well done. I thought you were going to get. I thought you were going to get that. I just had a complete mental blank. If I had said my partner was uh, Makarova, would that have would that have given it away? Yeah, because to be fair, I did get her partner, didn't I? I mean, yeah, I, I know. That partner. was one yeah. of my clues. That was one of my clues. So I was like, oh, okay, I can't say that anymore. <laughs> um, but yeah. Uh, let's move on to the mailbag. Um, we had a lovely question from Lynn Pin uh, about service lets, Joel. So this is what Lynn asked us. Should we get rid of service lets? Players have to deal with net cords in every other area of the game would be entertaining and speed up games. What do you think of that, Joel? Are you are you yay or are you nay? For me, there's two sides of this because I think it would make it more... I definitely think it would make it more entertaining, more exciting and, you know, players having to kind of adapt. Um, I think particularly, you know, for players who, you know, like to be so far behind the baseline uh, and it hits the you know the net cord and it goes short I think it would be quite interesting um, and add a bit of kind of interest I think particularly I think from that first moment so you know you're not always in these sorts of long rallies so I can see I can see how it would be exciting for kind of fans my only my only kind of 
like draw back on it i think is that i just would hate to see like matches won on a let that is one for me one of those things that i just like don't i don't like to see and like the idea of if we got rid of service lets and you know someone served and it just dribbled over the net and like they won the US Open or Wimbledon or whatever, it just would feel very, <laughs> it just would feel very, to me, it just would feel very, um, it would just kind of be very anticlimactic. And uh, I, I think for that reason, I'm a bit, I'm a bit hesitant of like doing that. I think, you know, maybe you could test it out. Maybe it's something you could test in the, you know, the next, the next gen series, um, you know, like the, you know, the tour finals at the, at the end of the season. Um, I think there's definitely probably some worth in exploring it, but um you know at the tour level but you know for me i think um yeah i'm a bit i'm a bit hesitant i mean how often would it actually happen though that it would happen on like championship point yeah. <laughs> probably not very often but i suppose <laughs> you could say that that could happen in the, in the middle of a rally and, and that would be allowed wouldn't it so i think that's lynn's point is that if you're allowing it in other aspects of play then might as well just allow it the whole time which i completely get i i personally don't mind service lets i, I think sometimes they add to the tension you know, someone's like struggling on serve and they're like down a break point and it's like, oh, you know, uh, it's, uh, yeah, it doesn't really bother me. Uh, I mean, I'm a Rafa fan, so I'm I'm all for slow play. <laughs> 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 it doesn't bother me how slow Rafa is. I, you know, he can take his sweet time. So I don't really mind service lets that much. Um, but I think that's, a, it is an interesting point. And I do think there is definitely room for that to be trialed at, you know, yeah, like you said, events like the next gen. So great question. Keep them coming. Um, let us know if you've got any other questions that we can put our, our heads on and, uh, and get thinking about. But, um, back to the tennis, Joel, uh, back to the news from this week. Uh, as we mentioned briefly earlier, Marcus Willis has retired. Um, uh, now he, you know, is, is a British player. So some of our, International listeners may not be too familiar with Marcus, but I think, you know, he's mostly famous for Wimbledon 2016, where he qualified, won uh, a match and then ended up playing against Federer on centre court, which for a player of Marcus Willis's ranking at the time was kind of a fairy tale. It was, it reminded me of, you know, the Wimbledon film where Peter, oh, I can't, Peter, Peter Colt, <laughs> you know, ends up uh, doing, going on a it marvelous was Peter run. Proportions, wasn't it? it was Peter Colt proportions <laughs> of Cinderella story um, esque. Uh, yeah, he, I think he was like, what, 900 ranked in the world, came through pre qualifying, came through qualifying, and yeah, ended up in the second round facing Roger Federer on centre court. I mean, it doesn't get more Cinderella story than that. Kim, I, when I was kind of researching, you know looking back on that moment i didn't realize in qualifying he beat medvedev and rublev uh to make the main draw which i think yeah given where medvedev and rublev are today i think is seriously it just adds to the it just adds to the story yeah absolutely i think i remember watching him against rublev i think at, at qualies at roehampton i was at at least a part of that match and i remember thinking oh rublev looks quite a good prospect but yeah, I mean, I didn't realize about Medvedev either. So, um, amazing, you know, in in in, the, in that context. And obviously, he he came up against Federer on centre court and he lost in straight sets, as you would expect, but managed to lob Federer, which I think was voted like the best shot of the tournament. Um, and obviously got the crowd going. And it was just a really nice that a player, you know, that wouldn't normally get that exposure or, or opportunity can say, you know, I played 
Roger Federer, like the king of centre court at Wimbledon at my home slam and, you know, have that memory to look back on. And obviously, you know, it's unfortunate, you know, Marcus Willis is retiring. He's only 30, but he's obviously trying to make an existence at the the real like lower levels of the tour. And what with COVID and the difficulty of travel, the reduced prize money, the reduced ranking points, it's just not financially viable for him to carry on. So nice. he's kind of, you know, said that that is his reason essentially for for giving up, giving up the ghost and uh, moving on to pastures new. Yeah, I th- I think it was interesting him talking about the, you know, the fact that it just didn't, you know, the sum sums wise, it just did not add up anymore. And you know, I think there would be a lot of players, you know, probably at you know at his level, at his, you know, around you know what his ranking was, kind of maybe even going through the same, you know, thought process at the moment because of coronavirus and and what it has, uh, in terms of resulted in and impacted in on on their lives and um. Yeah, it's a it's a it's a bit of a shame, but you know, this is I guess this is this is how the tennis structure is at the moment, and you know, you'd love to see you know more players, I think, further down the rankings be protected and have, I guess, more financial support. And I think we're you know we're seeing that sort we're seeing that happen with you know the I think the the prize distribution, you know, with you know at the the top level going from you know more from like you know winners and, and semi-finalists down to kind of the you know the first and, and second rounds and you know I think that is helping but you know that's that's only getting you so far I think down the you know the rankings to you know maybe like the top 100 or, or top 150 um it's just you know how far can you I guess go down and and you know give that level of support going beyond you know the main tour into challenges into futures because you know that is where some people ply their trade and you know they love tennis that's what they want to do can it be more sustainable because i think at the moment um you know to kind of marcus willis's point for some players it just it just doesn't add up yeah and even before covid it was a right struggle and especially if you've got a family to support and everything that's going on it's just not a secure thing to be pursuing and I think for him he's obviously made the right decision and it is a shame but I suppose he's probably had a good 10-12 years and I think also there comes a point when you just get to that age and you're like I'm a bit tired of traveling around I kind of want to be a bit more settled Uh, I mean we're a similar age to him and I think both of us probably feel a bit less like out there as we were when we were like earlier in our 20s you know we're not professional sports people but I can kind of understand that kind of that age aspect as well um so yeah it's it's interesting I mean I'd love to pick his brains uh more about the decisions and everything be quite interesting uh the other news that we had Joel is about the ranking calculations for the ATP because um obviously they've had to change the ranking system as a result of the pandemic um, but they've actually announced a, a new system which i think is supposed to be well a, a bit fairer i suppose um and i sort of had to read it twice to understand it because it's a bit tricky <laughs> it had made my head hurt kind of trying to figure it out um because yeah it's quite complicated but it was i think you know we've got, we've got to say this is for the just for the atp for now but i think it, it is becoming more and more critical that you know the rankings are more I think fluid and, you know, are reflective of the current performances in tennis because we are getting, I think, more and more situations now where it just doesn't seem to reflect. And, you know, you don't want a ranking system that's in place where I guess fans are looking at the draws and and looking at the seedings and they're just thinking, 
Yeah, that doesn't matter because the ra- the rankings don't really mean anything at the moment. Exactly. So what they're doing is they're now going to be looking at points earned at events from 2019, um, but events that were then not able to be held in 2020, uh, for example, like the Miami Open. So essentially a player who plays in that same event this year, they could either take 100% of the points earned from that event in 2021 or 50% of the points earned from that event in 2019, whichever, you know, they did better at, whichever would be worth the most. And that will be counted towards their ranking. So this will happen up until I think August, I think like the Cincinnati Masters this year, and then they'll just go back to the old system. And then after a year from August, the the points from these kind of this 2019 slash 2021 thing will will drop off. It's that I probably, you know, that's probably just confused everyone who hasn't already <laughs> looked at this. Um, I'm just confusing myself by even talking about it. But essentially, yeah, it's taking into account um, players previous, you know, performance from two years ago. Um, so they're not completely missing out. But if they do better this year, they're rewarded more and they're not, you know, stuck from progressing as much as they would have been. <laughs> Uh, yeah, you know, a lot of people are looking at this and being like, what does it mean for all the top players? And, you know, I think one of the biggest winners uh, is Roger Federer, who, you know, hasn't played a lot of tennis, um, you know, over the last year or so. He's going to be able to still have um, 50% of the points that he, you know, made um, in 2019 still, you know, affect his, his ranking and, and kind of keep him in his place at the top. Um, I think generally that's the kind of, feeling that this ranking system is doing is that it's benefiting the the big players um in terms of keeping them there but it's it's disadvantaging the players who are are you know lower down who are playing above their ranking but they're not actually seeing any gains from it and you know there are players out there that you know we're seeing this i think on the on the women's side you know players like Jen Brady, Jessica Pegula, who are having like really good success at, at Grand Sams, but you know it's not really reflected in their rankings. As I said, Pegula had to qualify for you know five hundred in Doha, which didn't, does, does, doesn't sound right. Um, but on the men's side as well, we're seeing you know people like, for example, Riley Opelka, who um, again was kind of frustrated, who's who's had a good last kind of twelve months or so, but he still remains outside the, the top. 30 and actually his match in Rotterdam this week he lost in the first round he said another week of, of losing money and, and you can sense I think that you know with these players who are playing out of their skin who are progressing they are getting frustrated because you know they feel like they're you know playing better tennis but they don't they don't have any reward for it exactly and I mean we'll have to see how it works in in reality I do think that the, the WTA should do something similar because like you were just saying it, it does create some weird scenarios but i think this is a step in the right direction for the time being from the atp so mm. we'll have to see if the wta follow suit but just on that kim actually i would just say you know we've had you know this season that you know the atp and wta come together in terms of you know making it easier for fans and and rebranding the tournament structure with 1500 250 across both the you know the men and women's tours why can't we just have a you know, can we have a universally agreed sort of rankings calculation across both tours as well? I think it would be a lot simpler. It'd be a lot easier. It'd help, I think, fans just understand, you know, what is going on. So, it's, you know, we feel like we always have these sorts of announcements and they just like, you know, we just read the first sentence and we're just like, this is so complicated. Um, 
So I do wonder whether there's scope there maybe for the ATP and WTA to get together and maybe have a more consistently applied um, calculations structure, algorithm, whatever it is for rankings that I think that just will make tennis more transparent and accessible for everyone. You're preaching to the choir there, Joel. I completely agree. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Let's talk about Roger Federer, though, uh, because he is back after like a whole year out, essentially. And he's back in the ATP 250 event in Doha, which is quite a loaded draw. We've got Dominic Thiem, we've got Andre Rublev, Shapovalov, etc. So, you know, he's not got mugs down the other end, basically. Um, His opening match as well, this is really interesting, could be Dan Evans uh, or Jeremy Shardy, who's actually been in quite good uh, nick lately. But I mean, I'd love personally to see Dan Evans up against Federer in Federer's first match back I think that would be a right opportunity for Dan there and um, I mean I'm sure Federer's obviously fine to be back on the court you know he's been obviously off training uh, solidly to to reach this point so but uh, you can't expect too much with you know coming back after such a long layoff so it'd be really intriguing yeah definitely I think he's got uh, I think he's got quite a kind draw actually you look at the two halves I think the top half is certainly more dangerous I mean you've got uh, you know team Bublik's been playing really well recently we talk, spoke about Opelka Rublev and then Fuchovic and Vavrinka all in that top half um, I Karatsev. actually think he's Karatsev as well yeah exactly um, the you know the bottom half um you know he's actually i think done well there i mean shapovalov is is the fourth seed so you know it will be it, as you said it will be fascinating to see how he gets on i think he sort of said you know his expectations are quite minimal in terms of you know this at this point of time it's just about building up to being kind of stronger fitter faster etc just getting back out on the court he did talk about the fact that he hopes by wimbledon he's going to be 100% and that's when the season starts for him. So I don't know if that's a bit of sort of just making sure expectations, even though he's one of you know, the greatest of all time, it's not like sort of, you know, we're not going into this expecting him to win kind of a two, you know, a 250 very, very easily. As you said, this is a loaded draw, but I think he's got quite a nice, um, you know, he's potentially got quite a nice uh, route potentially to the final, but that first match is, is not a gimme. I mean, as you said, Shardy, has been playing pretty well, um, gave Rublev a really good run for his money in Rotterdam. And Dan Evans will, again, I think, give him a good you know, run for his money in, in a, you know, his first match back. So I think we will see where his level is at on that first match because those two, I think, are some of the, the form players, um, particularly with Shardy, I think, at the moment. I'm really hoping for Dan Evans, Federer. I'd love to see that. Yeah. I'm, I'm just, yeah, that is making my mouth water. Uh, Yaziri Federer quarterfinal is what we're all after. Uh, Yaziri with a wild card, one of my one of my favourites. I know you're all about Crusoe, but my man Malik Yaziri, he's got Chorich in the first <laughs> round. I mean, I can't see an upset if I'm being honest, but I'd love to. I'd love to see him come through. Who knows? Who knows? But um, yeah. I'm sure your eyebrows are raised when you saw that draw. Say. <laughs> um, we've also got Dubai, though, uh, which is a thousand event, WTA event. So this is a big, big, big event for the women. Uh, obviously, Christopher, as we said, is aiming to do the Doha Dubai double, which Hingis and Justine Enan uh, have done, but not for many, many years, obviously. So she'll be hoping to, you know, end that um in that drought. But we'll have to see because it is a loaded draw again, obviously, loads of top top matches we've got um some cracking first rounds like uh 
Caroline Garcia against Angelique Kerber. Um, Coco Goff won this evening against Alexandra. 10-8 in the final set tiebreak. So that was a, a cracking first round as well. Elise Mertens, Fiona Ferro, like there's some real corkers in there uh, right from the get-go. And I mean, Azarenka's in the draw. Have to see if she's actually going to play with the, with the back injury. Um, but, you know, this one could go could go anywhere, really. I, I don't want to make any predictions. <laughs> yeah, Kim, I'm, I've got to be honest. I'm, I was looking at this draw and, and, you know, looking at the fact that, you know, four only four of the top 10 women are playing. I feel like there's going to be big opportunities for some of the lower ranked players, unseeded players to make some big gains in terms of ranking points, particularly with, you know, looking at Svitolina, Pliskova as your top two seeds. They're not in the greatest of form at the moment. So uh, I do wonder, um, where, you know, who's going to, I think, potentially make the most of that. I also got to say, I think we spoke about last week, Adelaide being a, a 500 and, you know, I didn't think the the player field really matched it. Um, you know, looking at the Dubai field as well, I, I don't think it really matches a 1000 caliber level. And, you know, I, I think it's just a nat- nat- naturally because of the pandemic and, and players being, I think, less mobile or flexible to go to these places and do these, do these tournaments. But, um, yeah, it just feels a bit, it just feels a little bit 1000 light for me at the moment. Yeah, I mean, there's no Halep, Osaka, Serena. So I, I get where you're coming from. Uh, but Muguruza is actually seeded here, which is nice <laughs> because she, she wasn't in Doha. So hurrah. <laughs> um, we've also got the um, ATP event in Marseille happening next week. 250 event. Medvedev is the top seed. Also got the likes of Sitspas, Kachanov, Umber. So yeah, I guess Yannick Sinner's back. Hurrah. Um, I'm excited for that. I hope he's sort of recovered from whatever injury he had. And um, yeah, classic first round between Joe Wilfritonga and Feliciano Lopez. I'm loving the old schoolness of that one. Yeah, no, that's a really, I, I, I saw that. Was, that was the one I was looking at in the draw. But yeah, Medvedev obviously will want to do better than uh, last, you know, last time out. Interesting to see um, Stefanos Sissipas is the number two seed, but his brother, Petros Sissipas get a wild card. Um, I know a lot of people on Twitter were theorizing conspiracy theorists out in terms of, you know, was that linked to whether Sissipas was playing or not? You know, should that be allowed? You know, I don't think Petros Sissipas really has a lot of uh, match wins on the, you know, the ATP tour. I don't know if he has any um, or even on the challenger tour. I'm not even sure, but um, yeah, there are a lot of kind of people talking about that and, and having an eyebrow raised there in terms of, wild cards and their allocations and it feeling a bit feeling a bit naughty maybe from the tournament organizers in order to <laughs> to uh convince uh maybe Sissipas to to play yeah it's, I think it's fine you know letting him play in the doubles perhaps but singles I genuinely do think there would be better well put him in qualifying I yeah give him a wild card for the qualifying there we go that's a bit fairer isn't it but um I mean who knows? He may prove us wrong. He may go on a wild, uh, wild card run to the final and he might be his brother en route. We'll have to wait and see. Uh, we've also got the ATP 250 out in Chile. Um, I'm excited for this one because Caruso is there. Hurrah. Um, and also the, uh, Serendolos, I think are in appearance yep. as well, mm-hmm. both of them. So they, they may very well meet in the final. I mean, that would be, uh, that would be going some if it was a third. Serendolo in in a final uh, in the third straight week. Uh, Christian Garin is the top seed here. He's in front of his home crowd, which is nice um, for him. 
And we also have the Guadalajara WTA 250 out in Mexico. <laughs> so there's all lots of, you know, 250s going on. And Podoroska is the top seed. Um, um, I was going to say she's at home, but she's not. She's Argentinian. So <laughs> getting my geography all wrong there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I noticed, I, I saw this draw. Goljevic is in the draw and she obviously was in the final with Leon. So I'll be impressed if she decides to make that trip from Leon uh, in France to Mexico for, for a 250. But I mean, Bouchard is in there as a wild card. Again, a lot of people I think there's been a lot of talk around, you know, last few weeks on wild cards and their allocations, particularly in main draws, you know, at, at the moment and arguably put some players some fans will look at these wild cards that you know Bouchard is getting and thinking what why is that happening you know that shouldn't be you know has she kind of warranted it you know I don't think that's anything particularly new but um yeah it's just kind of an ongoing thing but um I think that draw is generally wide open Kim I'm actually looking at it and I'm thinking the winner is going to come from Coco Vandeve versus Mihaela Berzonescu um I think Vandeve could win the tournament I'm just going out on a punt there uh, I don't know what it oh, is. Okay. But I think hardcore, you know, she had that semi-final at the US Open. I just think for some reason it could it could just come together. I was assuming this was clay, but you're completely right. It is a hardcore <laughs> event. Um I mean I would look at Marie Buskova because she she got to the final, didn't she, and lost to Kazakina in that Phillip Island event. But oh, yeah, of course, yeah. We'll have to see. But Bouchard, I'm sure she got to the doubles final in Leon. So again, I don't know if she'll be going to uh, Mexico either. But um, yeah, it's another debate, isn't it? Wild cards. But yeah, loads of tennis happening this coming week. Um, Roger Federer back in action. Let, let us know, perhaps, listeners, what, what you think we can expect from Federer this week. Do we, do we expect him to go deep in the draw? Do we expect him to lose first round? I mean, I, I, I think Dan Evans will have his number if they do meet. Hmm. I think... I think Dan Evans will beat him. I'm going to go out on a limb and say that. <laughs> okay, well, we'll we'll find out. We'll find out next week. Um, but yeah, listeners, hope you've enjoyed listening to this episode of The Passing Shot. If you have been enjoying our catch-ups, uh, make sure to subscribe to us on your podcasting platform of choice, whether that's Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Overcast, CastBox, Stitcher, wherever you listen to us, make sure you hit that subscribe button. And if you have been enjoying us on Apple Podcasts, make sure to leave us a rating and comment and you can follow us on social media at passing shot pod we are on twitter instagram and facebook so do give us a follow give us a like tell all your friends about us as well so they can give us a follow and if you'd like to get in contact with us via email instead then you can email us passing at gmail.com yes and we will be back next sunday for another catch up looking back on all of the tennis this week and probably our terrible predictions as well um so i hope you can join us for then but in the meantime i hope you're well i hope you're kind of safe wherever you are and we will see you again soon Kim, uh, something that caught my eye in Rotterdam was there was a bit of player interviews and I think Kane Nishikori was asked what he wanted to be when uh, when he was growing up as a kid and he said a penguin um, <laughs> and it was just so bizarre and random. You know, all the other players were saying sort of, I think like Medvedev said like an astronaut, Murray I think said a footballer stroke tennis player. Um, but yeah, 
Nishikuri wanted to be a penguin. So when he comes out on court, he's going to be going like, noot, noot, like Pingu did back in the day. <laughs> oh, I love Nishikori. He's totally like exceeded my expectations now. 